I am seriously confused, wrote Christine. It's my first week in your online course for binge eating, and I'm studying everything carefully. It advises eating five or six times a day. But then in the weight loss course, it says eating three or four times a day is best for weight loss. I know I want to do that course in the future, and I know I need to stop binge eating first, but here's my concern. If I need to eat five or six times a day to avoid a binge, won't I just start binging again if I drop to three or four meals? How will I ever lose weight? Christine's question is so common that I've really been dying to address it in an episode. In short, the answer is that eating five or six times a day is the first stage in a progression. It's the meal pattern that works best while you are building up emotional skills. But once you have those skills, you can change the meal frequency down the road and not backslide into binging. That's why three or four meals becomes possible, even if right now that pattern could send you right into a binge. When I was a kid, I did gymnastics. And when you're learning a new trick, like a back handspring, you do it first with a spotter on this big, thick, cushy mat. You keep the mat there and you practice and you practice and you practice. And then you can move to a medium mat and you keep practicing and practicing and practicing. Your balance gets better. Your spatial awareness gets better because you're you know, kind of moving backwards through space. Your jump gets stronger. Your arms get stronger. So you get used to catching your body weight and you don't fall on your head. But you keep using those mats for weeks before eventually you can do it without the mat on the floor. Your goal has always been to do it on the floor, but the first day you can't just go to the floor and do your back handspring. Think of the recommended eating plan of five or six times a day as the cushy mat we use while we're learning new emotional and behavioral skills, and we're breaking that habit of binge eating. I know you want to do those back handsprings on the floor, just like everybody wants to be losing weight right now. Eventually, you'll step down to the thinner mat, and then you'll move to the floor. But don't hurry it. Creating a calorie deficit is the last step in the process. You don't want to try it until you've got the supports in place to keep you from falling on your head. Today, I'll explain more about some of the steps that occur in the interim so you can know exactly what to strengthen before you move to the floor. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. Some of the people listening to this podcast aren't interested in weight loss. They want a healthy relationship with food, and they want disordered eating to be part of their past. However, I know that most people who contact us at Nutrition Loft want to lose weight more than anything. If you've been tuning into our podcast for a while, you've heard me emphasize many times that stopping binge eating has to come first, and weight loss can come later. In the same way, you have to take your shoes off before you take your pants off. And I get that you're impatient. Binge eating and emotional eating tend to produce weight gain. Being larger can make you really uncomfortable in your clothes. You might not feel like your best self, and it's no wonder that people are in a hurry to get back to when they were feeling better. I want you to get there too. In this episode and the ones coming over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about some of the behavioral progressions that occur as a client goes through recovery. I'm not going to label any phases like early recovery, middle recovery, and late recovery and describe what happens in each phase because that would be sort of misleading. Here's why it doesn't work out that way. 
You might be in the very first stages with one area of your eating behaviors, but you might be further along in some other behaviors. And you might make more rapid progress with some skills than others. Maybe you'll be able to manage your portion sizes really quickly, but you might need more time to get accustomed to handling your emotions without food. Recovery isn't one skill, it's lots of skills. You could say that recovering from disordered eating and moving into weight loss is like training for a decathlon. It's definitely an endurance sport. Today I'll talk about one of the progressions people move through as they break up with binge eating, recover, and then can move toward weight loss. Today will be all about emotions, and in subsequent episodes, we'll chat about hunger, satiety, and how we baby step through handling treats and former trigger foods. There's many other valuable skills that we teach in our program, but I'm going to pick out some of the major ones for the podcast. The earliest stages of this progression are represented by people who have difficulty with emotional awareness. They might not be able to tell when they're experiencing a strong emotion. Sometimes they feel blank. Or they feel like they get urges to eat, drink, shop, yell, or cry, but they're completely surprised by them because they didn't have any sensation of the emotion as it was approaching. In this stage, the skill we teach our clients is emotional awareness. To practice, you can check on your emotions on a regular basis, just as you would check the time or check the weather forecast throughout the day. You simply ask yourself, how am I feeling? And put some words to your feeling to describe the emotional state you're in. Many clients do this in a journal because it forces them to write down something. The second skill in this progression is expressing those emotions. Basically, we're talking about reversing any habits you may have had of suppressing those feelings. Suppressing emotions or showing no outward response is something many people with disordered eating and emotional eating have lots of practice with. And it's just so cool to see how as emotional expression goes up, emotional eating and binge eating go down. A 2018 research paper reported the findings from four studies, which looked at what happens between people in close relationships when they suppressed or expressed their emotions on a regular basis. Among their findings, when individuals were more emotionally expressive during daily interactions, they experience health benefits and interpersonal benefits, such as greater acceptance from others, greater relatedness and relationship satisfaction, and less distancing by others. Greater emotional expression in daily life also predicted increases in self-esteem and relationship satisfaction across time. When you think about those outcomes, you can probably see how when people feel accepted by other people, when they have close and satisfying relationships and higher self-esteem, they don't feel as much of a need to binge eat or turn to the pantry for comfort. So let's harness the power of emotional expression, right? I define healthy expression as effective communication to the right person at the right time. In short, to practice emotional expression, you have to be truthful. You can't say you're feeling great when you're actually feeling miserable. You also want to use specific words like eager, disappointed, energetic, or serene. If you just say, I'm good, bad, fine, or stressed, those four words are too general. So try and not use those and get to something a bit more detailed. Choosing the right time to express yourself and the right audience for expression will help you feel safe opening up and it will ensure a positive outcome. 
People with whom you have friendly or loving relationships are excellent candidates. Most of the time, it's perfectly suitable to share what's on your mind. You probably just want to make sure you avoid the wrong time, such as when they're running out the door, seated next to you in a funeral service, or just broke their arm and are writhing in pain. So, to express yourself, what do you say? If you're telling someone about your day, and you usually include facts about what happened, you can add in how you felt about each of the events. Let's say you usually come home and you say, Oh, my day was good. I had that meeting with my boss. He's cool with me taking Christmas week off. And then I hit the gym and did a leg workout. Oh, and traffic was bad near the construction on 10th Street. If you wanted to practice your expression skills a little more, you might change your update to something like, Oh, I had that meeting with my boss. He's cool with me taking Christmas week off, which is such a relief. Realize I was pretty unnerved waiting to hear back from him. My leg workout was good. It gave me a mood boost. Oh, and the construction on 10th Street is causing lots of traffic. I was so frustrated today because I just wanted to get home and relax. Giving the second kind of report about the day lets somebody in a bit closer. You're really letting them know what your experience was like, and it helps us feel more heard and understood. Want a simpler way to practice? I bet at least one person a day asks you, how are you? I challenge you to answer truthfully, but without using the four words I mentioned above. Those four words were good, bad, fine, or stressed. You might say, I'm optimistic, or I'm feeling happy today, or I'm pretty tired, but thank God for coffee, or I'm glad to see you, it's been a while. Okay, so the next step after we've moved through identifying emotions and getting better at expressing them, is being able to moderate them. This is a powerful part because it allows us to have an influence on how we feel. It's almost like having a volume knob so you can dial down your feelings when they get really intense. And if you think about it, having that dial handy would help you avoid binges or emotional overeating. When you can feel better, Without needing to put food in your mouth to do it, most people wouldn't choose to binge eat given how much it costs them. They'd just rather turn the dial down, feel better, and not go through all the aftermath of feeling sick, bloated, heavy, or ashamed. I have a few key methods I teach my clients to turn down the dial on uncomfortable emotions. In the book I'm writing right now, it's called Give Yourself More. It comes out in 2020, and you'll really like it. We go through all of the emotional skills step by step. But that book is looking like it's going to be 60,000 words, and that's way too long to put in a podcast. So I'm just going to do a big sweeping overview of a couple of the strategies. Know that there is lots more to learn on this subject if you're interested. Here we go. Tool number one to dial down an uncomfortable feeling, reappraisal. The quick and dirty way I can describe reappraisal is you think about something in a new way so that it changes how you feel about it. Most of the time, we want this thing to feel less upsetting. Sometimes, the way we're thinking about a particular situation makes it really upsetting. So if we can change the thoughts we have, we can dial down the upsettingness. For example, if you see someone stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire, you might think, oh no, that's terrible. They must be sad. They must be upset. They might have missed the most important meeting of their life. Or what if they had a plane to catch? Thinking of all of those dramatic circumstances will make you more upset than alternate ways you might interpret the scene. 
If you wanted to reappraise the situation so that you're not so upset, you might think, well, I'm glad they're sitting in their car where it's safe and not standing on the roadside, and they're talking on their cell phone, probably calling roadside assistance or a friend to help them out. You might think, ah, oh, flat tires are annoying. Lucky for that guy, it's dry and sunny, so they don't have to change it in the pouring rain. Or you might even think something like, well, if that person just robbed a bank or committed a murder and then got a flat tire, isn't that karma? Now the cops will get them. To practice reappraising, you'd want to push yourself to see how things aren't that bad. They might not be as severe as they seem, or see how they can be handled. You might also focus on how things will improve with time. Most discomforts or upsetting situations will be resolved in a matter of hours. It's also helpful to note how an individual has support to help deal with a situation, or that they have some personal resources to help them cope with it, especially if the person in trouble is you. You can remind yourself, I'm tough, I have great problem-solving skills, and I have handled some difficult crap before. Tool number two to dial down an uncomfortable feeling, replacement. What we're talking about replacing here are automatic negative thoughts and self-limiting beliefs. Automatic negative thoughts are just what you'd guess from the name. Say, for example, you catch somebody looking at you from across a restaurant. If your first thought is, he's looking at my wrinkles, oh, and he's thinking how ugly I am, that's a pretty negative assumption, and one you came to without any evidence. Another automatic negative thought example would be if you think things like, I just know I will screw this up before you go into a job interview. Thinking like that on a regular basis can contribute to depression and anxiety and make you suffer from worse moods on a regular basis. So to dial back an uncomfortable feeling, you can learn to replace those thoughts with thoughts that are more accurate and more fair. In the case of the stranger looking at you, you might instead think, hmm, maybe he thinks I'm attractive, or maybe I look like someone he knows. You might replace the thought of, I just know I will screw this up, with, all I can do is try and hope for the best. You can replace negative thoughts or unhelpful thoughts on the spot throughout the day. And eventually, your style of thinking changes, so your mind just doesn't keep suggesting those automatic negative ones as much it starts to generate more even-keeled, fair, accurate thoughts. Replacement can also be used with beliefs. You may have some beliefs that are holding you back, like, I'm bad at math, people can't be trusted, and if you aren't married by 35, you're doomed to become a crazy cat lady. Sometimes these beliefs are things we learn from our parents. Let's say you often heard your parents say, asking for help is what lazy people do, or, Anyone who gets cosmetic surgery is superficial. You might adopt these beliefs when you're young because you're a kid and we tend to go along with what our parents believe. But let's say down the road, when you're an adult, you really need assistance with getting your child to sleep. But then you don't want to hire a sleep coach because that old belief has you worried that if you ask for help, you'll be a lazy person. Or let's say one of your breasts is removed due to cancer surgery does that make you superficial if you want to explore your options for reconstruction? I'm not telling you what to believe. Definitely not going to go there. But what I'm getting at with the replacement idea is that sometimes we can recognize, often with the help of a coach, that there's a self-limiting belief that we might replace with an updated one that is more helpful. The most common examples I see of this 
are when people come to us and their food and eating progress is really held up by perfectionist beliefs. Replacing those beliefs with kind, flexible beliefs helps them stop sabotaging themselves and have more success. I also see people commonly held back by beliefs that they are powerless around certain foods, that they can't stop themselves, or that they can't change. Replacing these definitely makes the journey a whole lot easier, and it reduces feelings of hopelessness and despair. All right, tool number three to dial down an uncomfortable feeling, acceptance. How does accepting something help you feel better emotionally? It sounds like some psychological brain teaser, doesn't it? But it's really effective. Don't believe me? Well, imagine that the next time it rains, you will try and stop the rain. You can shout at the sky, light fires, do dances, or invent rituals to drive the rain clouds away. Because you hate rain. You worry if you don't do all this, the rain will never stop. You won't get any work done, and you won't have any time for fun because you'd be spending all your time and energy focused on getting rid of the rain. This sort of constant fight is the opposite of acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean you like the rain. It just means you make peace with the fact that it is raining, and you'd put on a raincoat and go about your day anyway. You go to your job, maybe you see a movie after work and have dinner with your family. You don't spend all your time hating the rain, trying in vain to force it to go away. And you notice the rain a lot less when you're busy and engaged with life and other people. Accepting our feelings sets us free from the task of constant war with them. If you've ever tried to stop being depressed, or stop being anxious, or stop being shy, or even stop being nervous, in some ways it's like shouting at the sky because you hate the rain. You can't just make it go away instantly. It's got to move on in its own time. Part of acceptance is recognizing that emotions do move on without us doing anything. They're like the weather. The best thing we can do is keep going on with our lives, even if some uncomfortable emotions are along for the ride. You can't make it stop raining, but you can feel a lot less distressed by it, which is the goal. We can still hang out with friends, go to work, be good parents, and get our workout in, whether we're feeling anxious, shy, or sad. In fact, going about activities that we value often helps us feel better sooner than if we had just stopped them. And if you've tried to get rid of a feeling or smother it by eating, you can probably see how learning acceptance is a key step to being able to leave binge eating and emotional eating in your past. To recap, there is a progression of emotional skills that create a path from a starting place of binge eating and emotional eating all the way through recovery and then to continue to gradual weight loss, if that's your goal. You have to take one step at a time. The first step is noticing your emotions, being able to identify them and tell them apart. The second step is being able to express your feelings rather than suppress them. And lastly, learning tools to be able to dial down the intensity of your own emotions frees you up to not need to utilize food to suppress them and numb you. There was a lot in this episode. If you're finding it valuable, please, please let me know by leaving a review. I'll see you in the next episode, where we'll cover another type of progression on your way through binge eating and into weight loss. See you next time.